Hey, Inland Hills Church. Today, we are celebrating our 30th anniversary. Hey, it didn't make a sound when I did it earlier. That was very exciting for me. Don't think it was probably as exciting for you. But uh, we are really stoked today to be celebrating 30 years of faithfulness of God in this community. And so we're doing that uh, through our eChurch presentation. And most of you are probably watching that if you're hearing this. And we're also doing it on campus. So we have a lot of exciting uh, birthday celebration stuff today on campus to celebrate the faithfulness of God as well. And if you are watching this on Sunday morning, you still have time to get here. So maybe consider heading this way for all of the festivities. But we were established in 19... 91. So here's what I want to do for the next few minutes. I want to first kind of establish the decade in which that we we began. Then I want to talk about what it looks like when God is up to something new and you're still kind of stuck in the old way of things. Then I want us to see like what that has to do with the stories of Inland Hills. And finally, I want to talk about what that has to do with your story. Because I think that whether you've been here for 30 years or you're just checking this out for the very first time, God has taught our community so much over these last three decades that I believe you will find helpful and fruitful this morning to apply to your own life. So 1991, the biggest movie that year was Terminator 2, Judgment Day. It was the year that the Lakers lost to the Chicago Bulls in the NBA Finals. And that stinks, but I gotta say, if you're gonna lose to somebody in the Finals, it's not bad to lose to Michael Jordan. And then the number one song for that year, and this is exciting, uh, Brian Adams, Everything I Do, I Do It For You from the movie Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And if you've never seen this movie, uh, anytime somebody talks about Hollywood actors and actresses who've had the worst accents in movies, like British accents. Kevin Costner's name in this movie always come up. Apparently he hired an accent coach and then the director was like, no, it's not happening. And so there's a few scenes where he kind of has one and most scenes where he sounds more like an American. It's a fascinating film. Uh, this, this song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. If you know the song, uh, you remember probably what a big, huge hit it was. I remember I was like in middle school at the time. I remember just hearing that song and I had a particular girl in mind that I was trying to date at the time. We were thinking like, yeah, everything I do, right? I do it for you. It was was really resonant for a 12-year-old. So that was 1991. It was a fun year. It was a fascinating year. And it was the year that Inland Hills Church was started. And the story of Inland Hills Church is the story of God doing something new. At its core, that's what it is. And so I thought we would spend a few minutes looking at a story this morning about God doing something new, because I think there's a lot that we can pull out of it that is informative for the way that we live our lives and also sheds a little bit of light on why the Inland Hill story is shaped and looks the way that it does. So if you have your Bibles this morning, we'd love for you to turn with us to the book of Acts in chapter number 10. I'm also going to have it on the screen. You can follow along. We're going to look at a story involving Peter. Peter is uh, just one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. I, I kind of consider Peter like my spirit animal. Uh, not really, but like I, I think when I think of someone who I really personally resonate with in the New Testament stories, I think of Peter. I don't think of Paul. I, I love Paul. Paul had great writings. He's one of the first followers of Jesus. He really did probably more to get the church started in the first century than just about any other individual. But Paul was so intense all the time and seem to almost always make the right decision no matter the situation. And while I think that's awesome and we need Pauls, uh, I resonate more with Peter. Peter's the guy who meant well, 
but oftentimes stuck his foot in his mouth. He meant well, but he didn't quite always follow through with what he'd hoped to do. He, he meant well, but he could get distracted. He meant well, but he was a little dense sometimes. Sometimes it took God a few tries of getting through to Peter for it to actually take hold. That's the guy that I feel I am more like than some of the others in the New Testament. And so I have a strong resonance with him. So we're gonna check out this story involving Peter. And, and Peter uh, was, I mean, you know, God used him to do amazing things. At the very beginning of this book of Acts, uh, Peter gives this sermon that thousands of people hear and choose to place their faith in Jesus. So he has these mountaintop moments of being used by God to do incredible things. But he also is the same apostle who denied that he knew Jesus three times after Jesus was arrested and while Jesus was being tried. He's the same apostle who uh, proclaimed that Jesus was the Christ, but then just moments later uh, denied that Jesus would have to die. Like that should never happen. And, and, and Jesus said, you know, uh, Satan, get thee behind me to Peter. Like that, that's the same Peter. And in this particular instance, we're gonna look at, at, at a situation where God is trying to teach Peter something new, trying to point him toward a new thing, but Peter's really resistant toward it. He's resistant because Peter has a particular understanding of who God is and a particular understanding of how God works. And so anything that falls outside of that box doesn't feel authentically God to Peter. And so let's, let's take a look at Acts chapter 10, starting with verse number nine. We read this about noon the following day as they were on their journey and approaching the city. So there's a group of men who are approaching Peter because they've been sent by their boss, a, a man named Cornelius, because he had a vision that he was supposed to go seek Peter out. So these guys are headed toward the city to find Peter. And while they're on their way, Peter went up to the roof to pray and he became hungry and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now already, right, 21st century trance is not something that we're used to talking a lot about trances or visions, but you, you had, you know, this is the first century, this more magical, mythical culture, and they were much more open to these kinds of possibilities. This is a way that they could really relate, connect to, and understand God. And so while I believe God still works sometimes through trances and visions today, uh, this was a culture that was more steeped in that and more open to that. So this happens for Peter. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. And it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. All right, so Peter is a Jew. He's a Jew who followed after Jesus. And, and if you're a good Jew, you wanna live your life in accordance with the Torah. It's the first five books of what we now call our Old Testament, but the, the Hebrew Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the Torah had all these different rules and commands for how these Jewish people were supposed to live. Why did the Torah contain this? Well, toward the very beginning of all the scriptures, God calls out this person, Abraham, and he says, I'm gonna make a great nation out of you and you are gonna bless the entire world. But in order to bless the entire world, you have to point them to the one true God. And to do that, I need to set you apart. You need to look differently than the nations around you. So there's a differentiation that needs to happen with this particular nation of Israel so that in their peculiarity, they can actually point to the one true God. 
Now, what I think is so fascinating about this group of people, this calling out, and what I think is so fascinating about our, our, our scriptures is that all throughout uh, the history of the Jewish people, they are often the small minority oppressed group of people, right? They're in Egypt and they're working as slaves, building, uh, making bricks uh, for, for Pharaoh. They finally get freed from Egypt through the Exodus. Moses leads them out, a name you've probably heard before. And then they go to their own land and they have their own kingdom for a while, but they eventually get conquered by the Syrians and the Babylonians. By the time we find Peter in the first century, the Roman empire has its boot on the neck of the Jewish people. And so for most of scripture history, the Jewish people write it as a group of oppressed minority people who are really serving at the whims of whatever empire happens to be over them at the time. And if you don't understand that, it's easy to miss a lot of what's happening in these scriptures. Part of then their own differentiation that God called them to was their diet. You know, when you sit down and you eat food, it's this reminder every time that you're dependent on this. You have to have this in order to live. And so one of the things that God did to set this group of people apart is to give them some dietary restrictions so that when they remembered that they were dependent, they would also remember who they were dependent on, the Lord. We also know that from lots of the dietary restrictions that we find early on in the Hebrew Bible, that there were a lot of these foods that were just unsafe to eat back then. And so God seemed to be both um, securing them, securing their safety and also setting them apart. So of all these animals that get brought down in the sheet, Peter looks at these animals on the sheet and, and not only was he not supposed to eat some of them, but the rabbis and the teachers of the law who came after these books were written, this, this, this Torah even added more stipulations than the books themselves did. It wasn't just that they weren't supposed to eat of certain unclean animals. They weren't even supposed to eat of clean animals, according to these teachers of the law that had touched unclean animals. And so you've got this sheet, think about a sheet when you put a bunch of stuff in the middle of it, right? It all kind of starts to flow together and bump into one another. And it's just, it's a mess. So he sees this sheet and there's clean animals and there's unclean animals, but all the animals are touching and God tells him, uh, go get up, kill and eat. And he says, no, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. So God gives Peter a direct order and Peter argues with him. He says, no. And I want you to catch this because I think this is important. Arguing with God is part of the tradition. Uh, Peter came from a long Jewish tradition right? Moses argued with God about being sent to Pharaoh. The prophets argued with God about going and, and speaking the truth that he had with, for them. Jesus even wrestled with the father in the garden of Gethsemane. Lord, if there's, if there's any other way to fulfill this mission, let's do it that way. But if not, I will bear this cup. Part of the tradition is to argue with God. And what's fascinating is so many times today when people talk about faith, they seem to talk about it in ways that like, no, you just need to be certain about it. And you need to, you know, who are you to ever ask God a question? And there's just this idea that we just need to, we need to sit quietly and never speak up, never ask the wrong question, never have any doubts. And yet part of the tradition going back thousands of years now within the Christian and Jewish tradition is this whole wrestling and arguing and pushing back and grasping to try to understand. And if we like cut all of that out, we miss a huge part of that. See, Peter had a particular understanding of God and the way that God operated. And God was trying to tell him, I am changing the way that this works. The challenge is that Peter's, Peter's religion gets in the way of the new thing God is doing. 
Peter's belief that he is defending God's way is an obstacle to him actually living God's way. Uh, Peter's certainty that he's right is the catalyst for him getting it wrong. And, And so many times, like the thing that we think we know, the thing that we think we're so sure of, we find out is actually the thing that's blocking us, preventing us from being able to walk into a new thing that God might have for us. And that's Peter's struggle here in Acts chapter 10. So the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. And this happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So so this happens once and Peter says no, and twice and Peter says ah, and three times. Like, right, I love Peter because Peter is resistant dense. It's like, how many times are we going to have to bring this sheet down before you get it? And then even after three times, we, we find that while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, so he's still not getting it. The men sent by Cornelius found out where Simeon's house was, or where Simon, sorry, Simon Peter's house was, and stopped at the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up, and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them for I have sent them. So here's what's happening. God is changing the way that he wants Peter to interact with the world. He's changing the way that the Jewish community has historically understood that he operates and that they are to operate, but not just as intellectual information. This is why so many times when we have you know conversations about theology or philosophy or like the conversations can be interesting for a while, but eventually they get dull and boring and highly abstract. And here's why, because ideas need flesh and blood. They need a, so what? They need a, why would we even be arguing about that? And so as Peter is wondering, like, what is it that God is trying to push me toward three men who are Gentiles? They are not Jews. They are people who he would normally not really fraternize with or associate with come knocking on his door. God just gave him a vision that every way that he has thought about being a good Jew is perhaps up for change. And now God is giving him an opportunity to put into practice the new thing that he's called Peter to do. And so in the next verse, we read this, uh, or we're gonna skip down just a little bit actually. So, so they, they asked Peter to go with them. Peter agrees. So then the following day, he arrived in Caesarea and Cornelius was expecting them and he called together his relatives and close friends. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and said, stand up. He said, I'm only a man myself. You've probably had that experience. You're walking down the street. People start to just hit the deck and worship you as a God. And you have to tell them like, look, I'm just a man. I'm just a woman. Like, don't, don't worry about it. So yeah, we all get this. We've been there. So this is what he does. He, he says that that's, you know, this is not appropriate. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. And he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. As we look at this, I just want us to keep in mind the huge leap it must have felt like for Peter to cross the threshold of that home and enter in. His his whole life, he has wanted to be a good, devout Jew. 
And now everything he knows about what that looks like, the customs he's used to following, the laws he's used to obeying, the people he's used to interacting with, God is saying, actually, a lot of that is up for grabs. I'm changing things. I'm doing a new thing. And if you want to be faithful to me, your faithfulness does not reside in you continuing to abide by the old way of understanding things, but in stepping across the threshold into the new thing I'm asking you to do. And so you can imagine as, as Peter like gets close to the home, the anxiety he might be feeling because like he's, oh, this is, this is not the way I'm supposed to operate. As long as I've been alive, I have had people who had my best interests in mind who have told me how God operates and what I am to do and what I'm not to do. And now entering into this home is going to basically toss all of that aside. And it's going to go into an area that, that I'm uncomfortable with. I don't know what the result will be. And he goes in and he's just honest with them. Now, put yourself also in the place of Cornelius and these people, right? This man walks in and he's like, look, you know that my religious laws that I'm about to tell you more about prohibit me from even being here. Like, I'm not even supposed to talk to you people. Like, that doesn't feel great, right? But that's his starting, that's, that's how he starts. Like, I'm, I'm a little embarrassed that I'm even here. I'm aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? And they end up having this great conversation. Peter ends up becoming a a leader in this early church movement. And, And part of what he ends up doing is bringing this gospel message about Jesus, Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his teachings. He brings it, doesn't just keep it within the Jewish community, but because of this vision from God and these initial interactions interactions of, of placing these ideas in flesh and blood, putting flesh and blood on them, he ends up bringing this message from the Jewish community into the Gentile community. Paul takes this even further, but this ends up spreading far and wide in large part because of Peter's willingness to step into the new. And by the time he shows up here, a day after having this vision, He's decided he has to be faithful to the new thing God is calling him to. I came without raising any objection. It's fascinating, right? The day before he's just, he's adamant. Like, I'm not gonna do that. I've never done that, God. I've, I have never eaten anything unclean in my entire life. But once he allowed what God was calling him to, to settle in, things changed for him. And that happens. It goes from new to normal. It goes from novel to natural. And see, it doesn't mean that he left behind everything he had known about God before. In fact, Jesus didn't ask him to. The early church wasn't supposed to. There's this continuing story of God's faithfulness throughout all of Jewish history. And the the Jewish people ended up being the cocoon that birthed Jesus as the Messiah and this new understanding of who God was. See, that's how new things often happen. Moving forward often involves reclaiming the old while embracing the new. Sometimes there are old things that we lost along the way that we need to pick back up, or there are old things that are a really good grounding for now, and they were in the past, and they will be for going forward. And moving forward often means like naming those things, staking those things out while also being willing to embrace the new thing going forward. That's how change works. That's how newness comes about. That's how a new work of God enters into the world. It's always been how that happens. But this story of Peter in Acts chapter 10 is such a great example of it. It's our 30th anniversary We're celebrating that as a church. And it's just a good reminder that the story of Inland Hills Church is the story of God doing something new. 
And that the story of Inland Hills Church began with the vision of a Jesus-centered community. That's the thing that we wanted to be from the very beginning. In 1990, Dave and Carol Steckline felt like God had placed this call on their life. And Dave was an associate pastor at an existing church at the time. He was taking seminary classes and he was learning increasingly about churches all across the United States that were starting up in order to have a new approach. There was this idea that lots of people who were far from God, but really open to God, were being left by the wayside because we didn't have churches that were set up in such a way to help that message go forward to reach those people. Like a lot of churches, and we just know this from years and years and years of of observation at this point, a lot of churches, the longer they exist, the more inward looking they become. And after a while, if a church isn't really careful to overcome this gravitational pull, they start to exist more for the people who are already there than for the people who are not there yet. And so Dave was seeing these churches, churches in Chicago, churches in Atlanta, churches all over the country that seem to be opening up the gospel this message of Jesus Christ in new and interesting ways, right? Embracing the old and also embracing the new, reclaiming what's good about Christianity, but saying like there may be new ways, new practices, new understandings of how to talk about this with our community that would allow more people who are far from God to attach to him. So as Dave was feeling like this this impression from God that he should plant a church, he'd never seen himself as a church planter. He was having these conversations with with Carol and Carol was really resistant. I had the opportunity to sit down with her a couple of times uh, over the over the last uh, couple of years and just hear you know her side of how all of this came to be. And she acknowledges that while she loved this vision and loved this heart, she just wasn't sure if this was what God was leading them to do. And so she had to really think and pray about it, which is great by the way. Because it turns out arguing with God is part of the tradition. Sometimes God calls us to do something new and we're not sure we're supposed to. Sometimes we feel perhaps an inkling, but we're not sure if it's something we should step into. But after a while, the two of them felt like God was definitely calling them and both of them decided to step forward in faithfulness to that. The next several years uh, were a lot of 90s and God awesome, basically. We put together a worship team that was different than was anything in this area, really. They wore amazing pants to all of their rehearsals. And uh, if you had a pair of these in the 90s, uh, bless you, I did too. They were awesome. Mine were purple. So, you know, blue's good too. And uh, and, and they continued going forward and, and, and but they did it in new ways, right? They, they decided that the music could be different. They decided that the way they talked about the gospel to the community could be different. They decided the way that they talked about things like faithfulness and following God and finances and all those things could be different, that they could talk about these same concepts that have been around since the teaching of Jesus in such a way that it would resonate with a modern, at the time, 20th century audience, because moving forward often involves reclaiming the old while embracing the new And see, what started off as a vision, as an idea, as something that God placed in the heart of just a couple of people soon began to spread and more families decided they would like to be a part of it. And they finally opened it up at Ayala High School. And what happened? Well, ideas need flesh and blood. And suddenly this idea, this vision, this new took on flesh and blood. People showed up several hundred people right away. And that just continued to bloom and to blossom over the next several years. And it's one thing to have people attend or people to sit in a seat, but that was never the goal was just to have people in seats. The goal the whole time was to lead people toward Jesus Christ. 
to help them find this new life by following after him. That was the hope. And what kept happening is that person after person after person kept encountering Jesus within this community. Inland Hills Church was designed to reach people. And then those people chose to put their faith in Jesus and those people became the church. See, this was no longer just like an organization or an idea or a 501c3 or a building or a group meeting in a high school. This was the church, people who had dedicated their lives to Jesus and therefore dedicated their lives to making the world around them better. And so this group of people that became this church came together and did big things. You know, they, they, they built buildings. They, they did foreign missions. They helped their city with all kinds of, address all kinds of issues. This church loved the community well for, for many years. And if that were the end of the story, that would sound like, oh, that feels like it's really glossy and everything's fantastic and it all worked out great. And there were never any problems. There were never any trials and there were never any heartaches. And that's never the way a good story goes. Because the truth is within the Christian tradition and within the Jewish tradition before it, there's always been a recognition that even when you are faithful to following God into the new thing, heartache still ends up being part of the story. We live in a fallen world and not everything will go as we'd hoped. Not everything is pulled off flawlessly. The question is what happens to a community with this vision of being a Jesus-centered church? What happens to a community when they face hard things? Does it defeat them or does it end up being a catalyst to disciple them? That's the test for any group of people, any group of God. And the reality is over the last decade, we've had as a church a number of difficult challenges. And so Dave Steckline, our founding pastor, a number of years ago, about 2011, got diagnosed with cancer. And this man who God had used to touch so many lives and so many hearts, this man who God had used like his teaching and his preaching to connect them with God, like suddenly we saw that he was a man and that he, he was perhaps not going to make it. And this community prayed for him and he struggled on and off. But at some point it became pretty clear that unfortunately this, this was not heading down a good path. Then his son, Andrew Steckline, stepped into the role of lead pastor here at the church. And Dave was able to mentor Andrew for a number of years, obviously. And Dave passed away and Andrew continued on as the lead pastor here. Andrew was a, a great teacher and I still have people talk to me regularly about something that Andrew said or taught that, that left a, an impact on them. It was positive, right? In the midst of the grieving over the loss of Dave, there was this, there was this thanksgiving that God was gonna continue to use this community and God was gonna continue to provide leadership for this community. And yet a few years into Andrew's tenure here as lead pastor, after struggling with anxiety and depression, Andrew ended up in late 2018, dying by suicide. Over just a handful of years, this community that had this vision to reach people and this vision to become this Jesus-centered church and this vision to, to, to change the world in the name of the gospel, to step into the new thing that God had done, this, this community was rocked by tragedy, hardship, loss. It's a difficult thing for, for anyone to walk through. I actually arrived here in 2019, just a few months before a global pandemic was going to hit. And I got asked after I arrived here by several 
I mean, a number of you who have been here for a long time. I get asked by friends and family members all around the country, Josh, a church just been through all of this. Why would you step into that role? Like, what was the thing about Inland Hills Church that made you want to be a part of that community after they just walked through about eight years of tragedy after tragedy, struggle after struggle, difficulty after difficulty? Here's what I've consistently said every time. I felt called to Inland Hills Church largely because I resonated with you, those of you who have been here for a while. Because the reality is in 2018, after years of heartache, uh, lots of churches would have folded, collapsed in, decided like, you know what? We've just had too much, given up, and you didn't. People continued to show up and to meet. People continue to put Jesus at the center of everything they did. People continue to be a part of small groups and help the community and give generously to the church and volunteer and be a part of teaching kids and students. Like, like this church walked through tragedy and this church held together. And if any church is based on a single person's leadership or a single family's leadership or the ideas of a few people who come and go, whether it's you know through tragedy or by their own choice, like if that's the only thing that the church is based on, that church will absolutely disintegrate and fall apart. And I've seen that and you've probably seen that a number of times. But see, the vision for this church was that it would become a Jesus-centered community. And at some point, the vision of a Jesus-centered community became an actual Jesus-centered community. So why did I decide to be a part of Inland Hills Church? Because this is the kind of community that I desperately want to be a part of. This is the kind of community that I am honored to have a front row seat to see how it has both worked through the difficulty and tragedy of the last decade and also how it has throughout all that time not been defined by it because Inland Hills Church has continued to share the gospel and to lead people into a living relationship with Jesus Christ all throughout that time. That's the kind of thing that I get really, really excited by. You see, Inland Hills Church, we exist to inspire people to find life by following Jesus. That's that's the whole reason that we are here. And, and that means as each year and each decade passes, right? There's gonna be changes that happen here because that's what walking into the new thing that God is doing requires of us. Why? Well, because moving forward often involves reclaiming the old while embracing the new. So if you've been here for 30 years and you, you came this last year, you may have thought like, man, it doesn't feel like the same place it did 30 years ago. Of course, of course. And if you've just been coming the last six months and you were to step away or move to Texas for a couple of years and come back, you'd probably walk in and say like, man, it doesn't feel quite the same as it did last time I was here. Of course. Why? Well, because moving forward often involves reclaiming the old while embracing the new. We've been a community that has always done that. We started off in a high school, we built a building. We started off in baggy parachute pants and then we moved, We kept moving forward towards skinny jeans. We started off with you know, contemporary praise and worship music mixed in with the occasional hymn and like the music has changed rapidly over the years, right? Why? Because the culture has and the means to engage the culture have continued to change. But what continues to be true about us is that we long to see people find life by following Jesus. That is the new that we will never, ever tire of. So later on this day, here on this campus, we're gonna be baptizing some people on our 30th anniversary, a reminder of the faithfulness of God to start this community, 
to persist with us through difficult times and to continue to use us to put Christ at the center of everything we do. So for those of you who aren't able to be here today, aren't able to see the baptisms, we wanted to just share with you one story that was shared, that that will be shared later on today about why this person chose to put their faith in Jesus Christ and get baptized here today. This is the kind of thing that God has been doing for 30 years and the kind of thing that we are hopeful God will do for 30, 60, 100 more. And so I'm inviting right now, Pastor Shelly Sousa to share with us a story of life change and transformation that if you're a part of Inland Hills Church, you're a part of this. This is the story um, as told by Teresa Mellons. This is her testimony. She says, I felt a need to change my life because I was exhausted. I was exhausted from feeling alone and lost in my thoughts. I was searching for a way to find calm and peace in the midst of my anxieties. I would talk out my thoughts and feelings with my family and my friends, but even after those talks, I still felt like I was left in confusion and I needed more. I needed someone I could go to for all situations to find peace and guidance with no judgment. I needed stability and I needed love. I was trying to figure out what my core values were and who I wanted to continue to become as a young adult. Teresa says that it was at this moment that I had a friend realize I needed Jesus. My friend told me about IHC and invited me to attend service with her. So I did. After that service, I knew this was the start to something new in my faith as I felt a connection I hadn't ever felt before. My first real thorough experience of Jesus was through the New Year, New Testament journey I took with IHC. This is my first time reading through the New Testament, which I never could have imagined that I would do. Reading through the New Testament along IHC and joining weekly gatherings on eChurch showed me the power of faith and how much better life can be when you put your trust and life in the hands of Jesus. I've decided to be baptized now for a few reasons. First, I finally have a better understanding of the Christian faith and who God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit are. Second, I'm taking the step to represent that I fully give my life over to my faith, knowing that God will protect me through my love and commitment to Him. I believe that I've finally come to an age in my life where I am able to prioritize faith and understand why that should be. I no longer question the what ifs, but rather I look to Jesus and I say thank you. And finally, I want to be baptized to symbolize that I not only acknowledge and believe in God, but I want to start a new life with Jesus at the center. Teresa says that now that I've accepted Jesus, my life is more calm. When I lay my head on my pillow every night, I feel relaxed and at peace with life. Whenever I have a question or lack of clarity on a given crossroad, I know I can ask God for guidance to help work through the situation. I don't hesitate anymore on who I can ask because I know He is there. He's always listening and He is my rock. It's one story out of hundreds that as a community, we've been privileged to see over the years because this community, this Jesus-shaped community, has been able to be a part of God's plan in bringing and drawing all kinds of people toward Him. So for those of you watching this morning, just a few possible thoughts as we kind of wind down. First of all, just a question for you. Does your understanding of God prevent you from hearing God? Right? 
Peter had a particular understanding of the way that God was supposed to be working. And like, it was, it was actually that understanding that ended up being wrong, that ended up being a barrier toward him, seeing the new thing God was inviting him into. Dave and Carol didn't see themselves as church planters. The way that they conceived of themselves and how God was going to use them ended up for a small period of time being a barrier to them to stepping in to what God had them to, to do. Does your understanding of God prevent you from hearing God? If you had well-meaning parents, aunts, uncles, pastors, people in your life, friends, coworkers, bosses, over time who have told you what God is like or how you should think about Jesus and, and, and that, that belief, that knowledge, which may or may not actually be based in reality or based in scripture, has ended up preventing you from being open to the new thing that God may want to do to your life. If that's you, I would just invite you today to consider opening yourself up to like, Teresa, consider the possibility of reading through the New Testament or opening yourself up to what Jesus may want to do with you. Or perhaps you've been around Inland Hills Church for a few months or a few years. Maybe you've caught us almost exclusively on eChurch. Maybe you've never set foot on campus. My, my question for you is, is it time for you to get in the boat, right? Uh, we are so excited to continue to move forward as a church and to serve as a life preserver for those who need God. Like, that's our desire. And so maybe you want to be a part of this mission. This is time for you to get in the boat. Maybe you used to call Inland Hills Church your church home, but you've just found yourself understandably over this last year of pandemic and global and political tension. Maybe you found yourself increasingly just feeling disconnected from IHC. So my question for you is like, is it time to get back in the boat? You were here, you have relationships, a community, you had a mission, a purpose that you were gonna be a part of this. And it's just, you just felt yourself slowly drifting over this last year. I get it. Lots of us have found it difficult to stay engaged with all kinds of aspects of our life over this last year. Is today on this 30th anniversary, a time for you to decide, you know what? That's my community. That's the mission I wanna be called to. That's the group of people I wanna move forward with. Or maybe you've been here a while and you are engaged, you're coming onto campus. But as, as we look forward to doing lots more ministry in the weeks and months ahead, as vaccine rates go up and COVID rates go down, as we reopen children's environments and, and continue forward with student environments and all kinds of great, exciting ministry plans that we have for this year to be a blessing in the name of Jesus to this community, maybe you need to ask, is it time to pick up an oar? All right, I'm not just in the boat. I'm gonna help row this thing. I'm gonna volunteer. I'm gonna be a part of it. I'm gonna invite. A couple of opportunities for you to do that if that's you today. First of all, we've got Easter coming up. Uh, on this day, shockingly, we are gonna talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And we're gonna talk about it a lot. But here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus means that even when it feels like our life is stagnant or stale or dead, there is a newness that's, that's totally accessible for us. That's what Jesus has provided us. We're gonna talk about that day. And maybe you need to be here on campus Easter, Saturday, April 3rd at 6.30 or Sunday, April 4th at 8.30 or at 11. Maybe you need to invite some people who need to experience the resurrection of God in their own lives to be a part of Easter. And that's a way that you can pick up an oar by letting other people know about this great God who we serve, the great God who is the foundation for the beginning of this community at Inland Hills Church. Or perhaps you need to be a part of Activate. 
So Activate is where you learn all about uh, our church, why we exist, and how you can be a huge part of what we do going forward. We don't want people, you know, if you're here for a while, we, we'd love for you to move from someone who's um, just kind of checking it out, engaging occasionally to someone who's really a part of us executing on the mission that God has called us to. This mission that we celebrate 30 years of today, and we look forward to the next 30, 40, 50 plus more. We believe that God is just getting started and that God has been faithful to us, that God has persevered with us and that God will continue to use us to help people find life by following Jesus Christ. If you haven't, if you haven't hooked in with Jesus yet, we encourage you to consider doing that today. If you haven't jumped on board with this mission yet, we encourage you to consider doing that today. And we are so grateful for all of you who have been such a huge part of this church reaching this community. Blessings to you. Can we pray? Heavenly Father, it is an honor to serve this congregation. It's an honor to to come in really at the tail end of this story, but to keep going forward and continue to see new things going. Lord, Lord, can, can can you please give us wisdom to reclaim the old, the important, the sacred, and also to embrace the new, to always be looking at how we can be a light to our community and how we can help people find life by following after Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to to bless every person who's been a part of the story of this church. And we ask you, God, for those who are listening, who are watching, who are paying attention today, God, if they are far from you, would you please just help them to know that whatever they think they know about you and their past or anything, anything that's preventing them from coming to you, you wanna tear all that down and start a new thing in their life. It's in Jesus' name we ask, amen. Thank you for listening to the Inland Hills Church Weekly Messages podcast. To learn more about Inland Hills, including info about our church ministries and ways to get involved, visit inlandhills.com. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and leave a review so others can find our messages of hope and encouragement. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week.